As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, we are back here again at Full Time with Meg Linhan. You are listening to a podcast all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Meg, your host. I'm a staff writer at The Athletic covering the NWSL and the U.S. Women's National Team. I am also extremely full of caffeinated beverages. And we are a day later than our usual schedule, but that is because we are now on the other side of the 2021 NWSL draft. I am joined by two amazing guests on today's show, the number three overall pick, Brianna Pinto is on the show today to discuss her decision to go pro and her new team, Sky Blue FC. And then former U.S. national team player and NWSL analyst Lori Lindsay is back on full time to break down all of the biggest stories from the biggest draft ever. And when I say that, I mean the longest. But we're going to talk the picks, the fits, the trades and the timeouts. But before we get started, my own quick version of a timeout, honestly, just so I can remind you that our deal for a new subscription at The Athletic is still running. We have so much in the works. We have some news happening all the time, but we've got some good news on the way. It's a perfect time to join us. You can visit theathletic.com slash full-time to save and subscribe for just $3.99 a month and get all of our women's soccer coverage, WNBA, MLS, whatever sport you follow, plus our new culture vertical, you name it, we've got it. We've got a jam-packed 2021 ahead of us. But we've also got a jam-packed amount of news to get through. So let's start with an attempt to wrap our brains around all the news from this week. All right. Katerina Macario had one hell of a week herself. She signed a 2.5-year contract with Olympic Lyonnaise, and then her paperwork to play for the United States national team has been approved by FIFA. She can now be selected for the 18-player game day rosters for the two upcoming friendlies against Colombia next week. Here is your reminder on how and when to watch those. The first match is on Monday, January 18th at 7 p.m. Eastern and will air on FS1. The second match is on Friday, January 22nd, same time, but on ESPN2. We've got more games on the docket for the U.S. Women's National Team as well with She Believes Cup formally announced this past week. Japan, Brazil, and Canada is going to fill out the tournament bracket. Those three doubleheader days will be on February 18th, 21st, and 24th with all three U.S. matches airing on FS1. Plenty more on this, I'm sure, coming up over the next month. 
Cindy Parlo-Cohn is running unopposed for U.S. soccer president in the next general election for U.S. soccer, but a reminder that this is just to serve the remainder of Carlos Cordero's term rather than a new term for her. On January 11th, I reported that North Carolina Courage center back Abby Dahlkemper is on her way to England. She is expected to sign with Manchester City for a 2.5-year contract. That one is not official yet, but it is almost there. And the newest NWSL expansion team in Kansas City announced that they would be playing with an inaugural crest and brand for their first season in 2021 before settling on a permanent look. Team will simply go by Kansas City NWSL for the upcoming season. If you go to their Twitter handle at Casey Woso, you can see their inaugural crest. Um, Some other news from me. So Jeff Kasu from the Equalizer had previously reported that U.S. national team players can now sign directly with NWSL clubs, and then this week I confirmed that Portland Thorns FC have signed both Lindsay Horan and Crystal Dunn to contracts that are definitely in the six-figure range using allocation money, somewhere between $130,000 to $150,000. There's a whole story on that at The Athletic if you would like to know more. Okay, (laughs) the big one. Uh, NWSL Commissioner Lisa Baird did a version of essentially a state of the league address ahead of the draft and major... Major news items left and right. I mean, the entire press conference was just like, this is news, this is news, this is news. But this is the very short version. So if you would like more, you can go to The Athletic. Jeff Reuter and I broke down the five major things that we learned and what they mean for the NWSL. But let's get started here. Baird announced that Sacramento is a go for expansion in 2022, confirming a report from myself and Paul Tenorio back in August that they were tapped as the next expansion team. That's despite some news last week on the Sacramento front. But uh, yeah, there a go. So that's across the line, though Sacramento has not really said anything on this front. Uh, the league and U.S. soccer have also changed their relationship. The federation is going to leave as manager of the league. And while this has been long in the works and the plan is still uh, that's been the plan for a very long time for the NWSL to gain independence, but that is still news that the split is finally happening for 2021. Also, she promised the 2021 schedule in what she called, quote, the coming days, unquote. So that is all I know. Please hold your scheduled jokes for now. Trust me, I know nothing else on this. She is also expecting more investment from both CBS and Twitch, plus new sponsorships for the leagues and teams. And one bigger issue uh, that I don't think was necessarily what we were hoping to hear, but the NWSL is not going to release any information about their investigation into the culture at Utah Soccer Holdings, which ultimately led to owner Deloy Hansen having to sell the team and the move to Kansas City ahead of the 2021 season. So I don't think any of us really honestly expected a full report, but greater transparency would still ensure that safeguards are being taken and being put in place to prevent any sort of similar situation elsewhere in the NWSL. Okay, finally, I want to end this on a quote from Megan Rapinoe from her first availability from the national team, honestly, for the first time since she believes Cup, right? She is back in camp for the first time in a long time. Um, Obviously, here in the United States, we have been living through (laughs) an attempt at coup, uh, a second impeachment, and and so many other ways that we can toss around the the word unprecedented as this year begins and trying to both do our jobs and also watch the news and (laughs) live our lives has been very interesting. Um, Obviously, Megan Rapinoe has never been shy about sharing her thoughts, and she spoke for quite some time 
about what happened at the Capitol last week and and the role that white supremacy played in this insurrection. Uh, She said, it's all out in the open. It's all stripped bare at this point. Uh, But I wanted to to set some time at the top of the show for her to speak in her own words. So here is Megan Rapinoe. You know, as as I think it it sets in and, you know, we're, I guess, almost a week out from uh, January 6th, which will certainly um, and rightfully so live on in, in the echoes of American history forever. It's just striking how um, how horrible it was and just how insane it was from you know the the climate in the country being such that we have, you know, our political leaders, our our chief political leader in inciting an actual real life murderous and deadly insurrection against his own government, against his own people, against his own party. Um, the vice president of the United States was in the halls of Congress, as were Congress people and, um, you know, senators alike and all the people that work in that building as well from the staff to the um you know the the capitol police etc um you know to see where we've come in these four years has been devastating um and, and also just i think you know hopefully the final straw for so many people to really understand like the reason that we're here is because we never have actually had a reckoning with what our country really is. Like, this is America. Make no mistake about it. I think we showed uh, very much our true colors. This is not the first time we've seen a murderous mob like that. Um, I think, you know, uh, uh, unleashing a white supremacist mob is nothing new to America, as, um, you know, people of color, black and brown, uh, know that very well. you know, all the calls for, you know, unity and justice obviously cannot come without justice, or or sorry, unity and uh, a sort of moving forward cannot come without justice. If we do not, um, you know, punish this and investigate this to the the fullest extent, it only encourages more of this to happen. I, I think, too, we should not underestimate what could have happened I think that we are very lucky um, that that officer uh, led them away from the Senate halls, Um, that mob. I mean, we we saw people with weapons and people with zip ties and like, why wouldn't they hung a, you know, they put up a gallow um, outside the Capitol building where they were chanting to hang the vice president of the United States. So anybody thinking, oh, well, you know, it's, they wouldn't really have done that much. And, and I think, honestly, we, we give, you know, the, the sort of uh, a pass a little bit, maybe because it looks familiar to us because it's white or it's white supremacist, or maybe we haven't, you know, seen this in our lifetimes. But I think that we should make no mistake about what the intent was behind it. And it was a murderous mob. I mean, five people are dead um, and, and we can't bring them back. So this week certainly will be... Um, hugely consequential in the history of our country. It's going to be very intense, but uh, I mean, just from a, 
a personal standpoint, it's very unsettling and, and scary. So U.S. Soccer has put her media availability up on YouTube. I'll have the link in the show notes as well, but I think it is worth watching and listening to her perspective. Uh, a lot of good questions on Tuesday and a lot of thoughtful answers. Okay, so very different note. Let's dig into the 2021 NWSL draft. First up, UNC and U.S. Youth National Team standout Brianna Pinto, fresh off the draft, is here. No cameo from her dad, unfortunately, since he was absolutely one of the happy parents who stole the show on the broadcast. But I will say, Cloud9 supporters, I think you are going to love what you are about to hear. So, Brianna, I mean, it has obviously been a busy week. When I when I sent you that message, you know, we've, we've talked before about Athletes Council stuff, but I sent you the message like, okay, you're declaring for the draft, like... I want to I want to talk to you about your decision and your your side of the process on on going into the NWSL draft this year. Yeah, for sure. Um, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I'd definitely say that my decision was based on the fact that the NCAA issued a waiver where um, collegiate athletes are allowed to finish out their spring season and then join the NWSL. Um, for me personally, I felt like I was at a time in my development where I was looking to go to the pro ranks and. Um, take that next step in my career. Um, however, like losing in two national championships isn't something that anybody wants to do. Um, I came to Carolina because I wanted to win and I want to finish that, that commitment with my team and make one last run for it this spring. So um, it was more about a development standpoint of things. And obviously with the national teams, I want to vibe for a spot with the senior team. And in order to do that, I need to play games consistently. And the college model doesn't offer that through the summer. So um, I think I'm kind of getting the best of both worlds of finishing my collegiate uh, spring season and then joining the Sky Blue or Sky Blue FC. So I'm super excited. Right. Yeah, I was I was thinking like as you're talking, it does feel like the best of both worlds in terms of you get to finish out at UNC and then also move into the pros. In terms of maybe some of the conversations that you've had, I'm guessing that you're you're probably talking with folks like Anson, right? You're talking yeah. with folks probably within the NWSL. What, what were some of those conversations like as you're starting to think like, okay, maybe I can get both of these experiences in and then move into that next phase? Yeah, Anson just wanted to make sure that um, whatever my decision was, it's in my best interest. And um, I always have so much respect and love for him because uh, he wants to see us get to our potential as quickly as possible. Um, and we com- we came to an agreement that we would devote the next five months to each other and try to make the most of it and ultimately win. Um, so he was a huge part of my decision making process. And um, also Laura Harvey, who is my U20 coach, who knows the NWSL inside out. So um, she was super, super helpful and gave me some insight that I probably couldn't have gotten um, from anyone else. So um, with those two and my family and a little bit of prayer along the way, I made my decision and I'm super happy with how it turned out. And I'm so excited to be in New Jersey. So. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's talk about New Jersey. This is, you know, I'm in New York City, so Sky Blue is is essentially my local team. Um, covered them actually pretty extensively at the last draft. They had another pretty big night on Wednesday. Um, but I I want to walk through what you know your vibe is with with Sky Blue, with you know maybe the technical staff, with Elise LeHugh, the GM. Like what. Where have those conversations started off, uh, you know, knowing the fact that, okay, you get to finish the spring out with UNC? 
Yeah, I got to speak with the coaching staff. They were super great. They talked about their style of play and then their environment. And it was straight up my alley, just what I'm looking for. They're going to play through the midfield. And um, they're looking to build towards the future. Obviously, they have uh, a great combination of young and older players. And I think that experience combined with like young energy um, will give them the things they need to succeed. And obviously, they did well did well in the challenge cup and in the fall series. So I'm really, really proud of like how they've come along and I can't wait to be a part of it. But the other thing is um, this is a team environment. Like this is really specific to me, but I've never really played with so many different black girls. So to see that is really, really empowering to me. Um, so like Midge and EC and Mandy, like that's super cool to me to be a part of that. And um, it seems like their team really, really loves each other and um, enjoys uh, developing each day. So um, I really like what they've created over there. They're passionate about what they're doing. And obviously their strategy um, side of things worked in their favor. So um, yeah. it seems like a really intelligent group that I get to join. So I'm, I'm super, super blessed and fortunate to be a part of it. Are you looking forward to also being within pretty close distance of, of the city, as we love to call it when we are within the city? But, you know, I mean, the yeah. nice thing, too, is that Red Bull Arena, right? Like the, the team has really found this new home that has much greater access to New York City. And I think that's been really exciting for at least me personally to see where this does actually feel like a New York, New Jersey team. So it's a good it's a good spot to be, I think. That, I'm that's biased, probably, but yeah. That's definitely what my parents are most excited about. Um, my dad's from Long Island and he knows the area super well. I was born in Connecticut, sort of Northeast, like, well, it definitely is Northeast, but sort of New York, New Jersey kind of area. Um, but we're super excited to be in the biggest market in the world. And like, I kind of want to be a part of growing the game in women's soccer and getting the New York culture to kind of c- clash with NWSL and really build that support because um, one of the coolest experiences of yesterday was getting to speak with the supporters group and see all their faces and feel their energy. And um, I really think I'm going to find a new home that I'm like, like I can't find anywhere else. And I, yeah, I, I just love how supported I felt from day one. So that really meant a lot to me. Awesome. All right. Well, let's, let's talk about NWSL in general, maybe a little bit in terms of what appeal to you, you know, you were talking about taking that next step in your development, but, you know, there has been kind of this bigger conversation about the potential to, to, for players to go abroad for, you know, there are a lot of options out there and every player gets to make the decision for herself about like what that next step is. But what are your impressions of the NWSL? You know, you were talking about, I've had conversations with Laura Harvey, right? About the league. Laura Harvey is really a legend of the NWSL before she went over to the youth national team system. So what is your, your general approach to the NWSL so far? Well, first of all, it's an American league. I think the adjustment will be a little bit smoother than moving overseas. Um, The other thing is like they've established um, a network of people who are committed to building uh, women's soccer around the world. So even the big signings they've gotten from international players is impressive. And I'm so glad that they're invested to make things work, even when, um, it seems impossible. So I think they kind of defied odds when they had the challenge cup and successfully um, made the bubble work. So um, that's attractive and like the leadership from the top down and then also what the league stands for. Um, the other thing is that like in terms of like Europe and the end of ASL, uh, I think there are different brands of the game. So I've been fortunate to be able to train with uh, Washington Spirit and NC Courage in the summers when I was in high school and in college. 
Um, and the thing I love about the end of a cell is how they punish you when, when you lose the ball. And I think that's kind of like the American mentality that um, you can't really find anywhere else. And I think our United States national team has adopted that and has made it a focal part of their playing style. And I feel like if I'm in an environment where I can practice that every day and be immersed in a culture where so many different people are in and out of national team camps, I think that's where I'm going to see the most growth. Perfect. All right. I mean, I do think let's let's talk about the national team for a second, just in terms of, you know, Vlako Andonovsky coming in as a head coach. We've now, you know, a lot of us who have covered the NWSL for a while, very familiar with him, but he is a very technical, tactical, attention to detail sort of guy in terms of your conversations with him, but also Laura Harvey. It, it feels like there has been this kind of unification process across the U.S. national team. Do you, do you have a sense of like, these are the things I might need to work on in order to like really get that consistent call up? Yeah, uh, for sure. I think Vako and Laura are great. They've been instrumental in my journey so far, and I'm excited to work with them more in the future. Um, the five priorities for them is one, playing. So getting into an environment where you can immediately play. Two is performing. Three is being available for camps. Um, I think going overseas presents an issue because it's just a little bit harder to get into domestic camps than sometimes camps that are abroad. So uh, that's another thing, but then also being fit and then being healthy. Um, and I think I will have the best chance to meet those uh, requirements um, at Sky Blue and in the NWSL. Um, and then in terms of the technical and tactical side of the game that you mentioned, it really seems like Sky Blue coaching staff is really going to hone in on that and they want to play through the middle. And that's something that's really attractive to me because I want to be on the ball and kind of control the tempo and work with my other midfield and midfielders and have like a, a flow to the game where we can interchange between the six, eight and 10 and it, and it works smoothly because I think that's something we can do given the personnel that we have. All right. That's, I mean, I'm sure any sky blue fan who's going to be listening to this episode is probably very, very (laughs) excited to hear what is in the works. I do. I want to talk to you though, also about your draft day experience because one of the things that I think everybody was really struck by on Wednesday night is the fact that there was just so much joy while people were were being drafted in their homes. Like if you could, you know, there is going to be video available of this, but like if you could tell us where you are recording from right now, I just feel like it's such a cool vibe for the NWSL, even as, you know, obviously we look outside and there is a pandemic, but like we're getting these very cool moments too where we actually get to see you know, the folks who have created these players that are being drafted. Yeah, definitely. So right now I'm in my childhood bedroom, so you can see all of my national team flags and stuff. Um, but we had our <laughs> draft party um, in my living room and my dad went above and beyond and pulled out his like stage lighting kind of things. Like, I don't know how to describe <laughs> it. He does stuff on the media. Um, so he did that. And then we had like a draft party on Zoom on the side. So like my family and friends were able to like watch the behind the scenes, like when I got drafted. And then they would they were also watching the official broadcast to so the live stream um, on the other side of their computer. So they kind of got to see the whole thing and get a feel for it. And it was really, really special because um, I got to do it in, uh, beside my family members. Uh, mine is my younger brother. Um, I obviously missed him and having him part of this journey but he was on the zoom and he was just as excited as anyone else so um my younger brother's in fc cincy and he's training with their 19s by the way um so he wasn't able to go to princeton this this spring because they're not 
playing um, their spring season. But anyways, um, yeah, it was just such a super cool moment. Um, and then I did my interviews in the dining room and my parents like got every color balloon just in case. Yeah. And um, so I had my blue and white balloons and I was ready and it was super cool. Um, and then afterwards, uh, we kind of, everything settled down. I uh, got to speak with all my friends and family on Zoom and just thank them for being a part of the moment and like watching me grow um, because I think all of them have had such an integral role in my success as a youth player and beyond. And some of these people are old enough to have seen me as a baby so um to be here today and signing well to be part of the first my first draft and um getting drafted ultimately was super super special so um I'm, I'm really grateful for this moment and it was so cool that the NV cell was so innovative in their approach and made sure that they made this the most special experience given the circumstances yeah, I feel like your dad really uh, did steal the show in <laughs> the interview with, with Jordan with the Pinto. I mean, like, it just, I don't, I think it's very fun because, you know, having been in the draft room before, like, it's not that families aren't there, but I think it just, there's something about the joy of being in your own home and being really excited and, and being able to, like, be proud of your kid is very it was lovely. Like, I really enjoyed it. So please, like, thank your dad. I think for everyone, <laughs> it was just very, very delightful. Yeah, um, it, all right, it's I taken wanted... me a while. It's taken me a while to come <laughs> to the to come to terms with the that Pinto Life hashtag. It's something my dad's been cultivating over the last couple of years. And it's actually his Instagram handle. Um, but oh, yeah. Yeah. So when the end of his posted us on their Instagram account, he was super stoked about that. But um, all right. You know, you, you don't get drafted every day, so I let him have his yeah. moment and be yeah. happy for me. So it meant a lot. <laughs> yeah, you know, like once you're once you're of a certain age and you're like cool with your parents again, right? You're like, all right, this is this is okay. Like we'll we'll let it happen. I mean, I do think that you also you'll probably have to watch your dad to make sure that he's not like going to be out here behind your back with the cloud nine, the supporters group of New Jersey, while they like I'm I'm guessing a that Pinto Life banner will be in the works probably immediately like that is kind of how they operate so I just I want you to emotionally prepare yourself for that <laughs> like it's part of it I'm I'm with yeah. it if that's what they want to do so be it and I'll, I'll be there okay. to support them as well so okay. um but yeah that is the, the NWSL culture uh I'm sure you have seen some of it on Twitter but it is for sure. it is slightly absurd I will I will put it that way so <laughs> Well, for all, right. all the supporters to watch for hours, that was just so, so meaningful. Like, they really do care about uh, the next crop of talent, and um, I think that shows how, how well the league is growing. Yeah. All right, for our, for our last topic. So the first time that we, we talked, it was about Athletes Council stuff. You were just about to announce your campaign to run for Athletes Council, and now that you have actually been elected to the U.S. Soccer Athletes Council. Uh, I wanted to get an update from you, how you feel that's going, what what it was honestly like to to win the election. Yeah, um, I think our campaign was a little bit unprecedented because um, nobody our age has run for this position before. And um, to have all five of the members uh, elected is special because we have a group that we can rely on. And obviously, we've now become integrated with the rest of the athlete council and they've really embraced us and um, to learn from them and get advice about like how certain procedures work has been great um, right now we're in the vetting process for the VP 
Um, and we just want to make sure that we take all the necessary precautions and um, steps to evaluate them as a person and then as a leader um, within the Federation so that we're actively reflecting the wants and needs of all athletes within the Federation. So um, that was something that was super important to us. And we want to make sure that we're doing a good job, but we're excited to be a part of it. Um, it's really cool to see the behind the scenes of how the Federation operates. But um, I think the next couple of months or like the next two months really uh, will be interesting. And I'm excited to see how it turns out. Yeah. I, I just also, I think it's very cool, you know, and, and we've, we've talked about this before, but to have the next generation really interested in the governance piece, because like, this is the part that does not always get a huge amount of attention, right? Like, yes, the, the Federation certainly gets covered and, and there are a lot of discussions about what the Federation does, but in terms of the actual, you know, board meetings and, and stuff like that, like I, I've sat through public portions of the board meetings, right? Like it's not necessarily the most fun process, but it is extremely important. And I was hoping that you could maybe talk folks through like what appealed to you about actually being able to be involved in the process. Yeah. Um, I definitely think that like, I want to have like a leadership role of some sort throughout my career. Um, I think the 99ers, for example, they were the trailbla trailblazers. Um, and for me, I was thinking about how can I leave the game better than I found it? Um, that's not to say that I haven't had the most, ex like I've had the most, wonderful experience as a youth national team player um, but I just want to make sure that for the players coming up in the next five to ten years it's even better for them and that we keep the ball rolling um, so for me I wanted to get involved as young as possible so by the time I'm at, I'm at the peak of my career um, I can really affect real change um, I think with the athlete council in the past people join towards the end of their career and they only have so long to serve. And um, once you kind of understand how it works and um, get really involved and have a leadership role, even within the athlete council, your term is kind of up. So um, even if my term, um, even as like, well, I have four years, but I wanna make sure that other athletes have an interest and kind of set that bar um, for them because we we need athletes to take these roles and um, fight for what they need they want and need and um, make um, a more equitable federation for everybody looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Awesome. All right. Well, I think a lot of people are are working on it on a lot of on a lot of different fronts, you know, as much as as much as can 
be made in terms of progress. I do want to close out. Um, if you can tell folks how to find you online, how they can follow your career as you go from, you know, finishing out your, your time at UNC into sky blue, uh, where, where can people find you? Yeah. Um, I'm on all social media. Um, you can find me on Instagram at b.pinto and then on Twitter at b underscore pinto nine. Um, I'll, put regular updates about what I'm doing with UNC and then eventually with Sky Blue. And I'm super excited to see how this journey unfolds, but I'm just getting started. So um, thank you to everybody that's have, that has given me these opportunities and has supported me along the way because um, it really has meant the world to me to achieve some lifelong dreams and to even work past some of them. So um, I can't wait to get started. Amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time the day after being drafted to, to the pros. Like it's just, you know, enjoy it. Honestly, like that's, it's just really awesome. So thank you again for, for joining us and, and sharing some of your story. Thank you. Thank you again to Brianna for joining the show and giving us her perspective on the draft process. And now from the other side of things, Lori Lindsay is back, back on full time, back home in Philly and back and ready to, relive a wild night at the NWSL draft. All right. So let's, let's start with the draft itself. You are now back home. <laughs> you have survived. Everyone survived this draft, right? <laughs> we are both awake. I took a 20 minute power nap. As I texted you before this, I was like, I'm going to take a nap. I will send you topics for this podcast. I took a 20 minute nap. I slept on my neck wrong because I'm an old person now, but we have survived. And I want to talk to you. I want to start with what the adjustment was like in terms of a virtual draft. Like, obviously, you're on site in a studio doing all this recording, but everything, we're usually in a ballroom together, right? Like, on opposite sides of this giant ballroom, there is very loud electronic music happening. It is generally freezing. There's popcorn. It's like an <laughs> event, right? Like, yeah. But this is this is completely different. So what what is the first, like, thing that comes to your mind in terms of, what the adjustment was like to having this new format for 2021. Well, first of all, I'll have to say in terms of like being an old person, I cannot tell you, I was so, so fortunate as a player that I didn't have knee injuries, but my knees were hurting so badly. And my hip flexors, Marissa and I were like, uh, we need more time out so we can get up and like take us <laughs> off camera because my body hurts more than it did when I play play. Um, so that'd be one thing. Cause there wasn't as much room to room, uh, move around cause we were in a studio and, um, but you know what, like, I really have to huge shout out to Vista because a lot of people know that's where we were down in, um, Fort Lauderdale, um, where, uh, we called the champions, um, the challenge cup games and the fall series games and what a fantastic job. And there's so many people behind the scenes. And then obviously all of, um, in the, in the BSL being able to set it up. Cause there's like three months was put into this, right? How do we do this with like so many different moving parts? Uh, Jordan Angeli was in like a, the um, upstairs room, right? And she's conducting interviews all across the country. So right off the bat, I mean, listen, the ballroom, the energy you get from being at the US soccer convention, um, there's so much energy, it's exciting. You typically have a lot of the players live there. Um, some of them have family members, you have coaches popping in and out. And so being live, it's awesome. And you're in the ballroom, DJ Amy, <laughs> right? Has like the music <laughs> lasting and, but still with the, with this virtual draft that we did still 
a lot of energy, still the same prep that went into it. And honestly, in some ways it was, um, I would tell you the one, the one area that I was so surprised and I felt like a lot of, regardless of where you were watching it, that had even more of an impact was the players being with their families, Jordan Angeli conducting those interviews, even virtually and the excitement you could tell. I think a lot of times when we're live at the, at the convention center, wherever, whatever city we're in, it's so nerve wracking for the, the player to have to get up there and give a speech and they're already excited. Um, so much emotion that they got drafted. And then if you don't like public speaking, then uh, good luck. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then to, like step off stage and Jordan's usually right there with a mic to do another interview. So you don't really see the player's personality. Um, they're not typically right with their family. And so, oh my goodness, that to me brought so much life. Um, and I could feel that energy from them regardless of where they were. And that was probably my favorite part. But other than that, super smooth. I mean, this is what Vista does. And um, personally, and I think collectively, who all the people behind the scenes, very happy with what we did, except for how long it took. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do want to. Yeah. I mean, one of the one of the jokes, right, is and I thought this was really great was um, Kim McCauley out here tweeting like with the 40th yeah. pick Sky Blue FC selects the heat death of the universe, which <laughs> and then there's that old Joe Buck joke of um, <laughs> him staring into the sun like, oh, yes, yes, the world is ending. Right. Exactly. And, yeah. and then except in this case, it's Marissa Pilla being like, yes, yes, the heat death of the universe. <laughs> I mean, it was. I mean, I, I just remember thinking, I think it was probably around like 1030 being like, could we actually go past midnight at this at this rate? Like it took about two hours to get through the first round. And I'm just wondering from your point of view, like I have I have seen you work the draft in that room, right, where you're kind of like stuck behind the desk and you can kind of, you know, like depending on who's in the shot, you can maybe get up and like sprint to the bathroom if you need to. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but what I did actually like you know, five hours probably is a little too much, but I did really like how much time was spent on each pick, you know, that we did get to to have those looks inside of, you know, it was like we were inside people's homes in a way that we haven't been before. You know, I just talked with Brianna Pinto and like her dad, like hopping in that shot and like, you know, the pot, like there was just a lot, it felt like it had so much life in a way that I think, again, like you get the pomp and circumstance of an individual draft in the in the convention center. But I think this way it was kind of like that. This is this is the world that we're living in right now. And we are conducting all of these things from yeah. our living rooms and from our, our home offices or whatever, you know, so it felt right for this moment. I also thought that um it just allowed for a lot of, I mean, NWSL is kind of infamous for the banter online. And I mean, Houston Dash was running such a strong campaign to ban timeouts and then promptly took a timeout. Listen, there's a couple of things to this. I don't think it would be completely wrong going forward to, because we have a lot of uh, interviews that Jordan conducted too with other um, players that just didn't get on air. And so those are banked and like, hopefully they will find a home somewhere via social media or on the NWSL website. Cause those should all be aired, right? Like that, mm-hmm. this is an exciting moment. And then I would be interested if there's a little bit of a hybrid version going forward, like have the event live, obviously you like to have all the, the teams there us live, but then also be able to pan to players and their families at home because you really did get to see that emotion, which I 
as you mentioned, really brought that to life. Um, but yes, we were like, Houston, OL Raid, that's it. You're out. You're losing the next And I joke, but like you're losing yeah. next year's pick because like, listen, you had till the third round and like, get out of here. You should know who you're taking. Stop. And Houston, you have two back-to-back picks. What do you mean? Just right. pick your players and let's move on. Like, come on. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I mean, when when Casey had that like bang, bang, bang run and everyone was like, thank you. This is yeah. how we should right. be doing this. Well done. The yeah. pick's in and it wasn't a lie, right? We didn't just see it on the ticker and then like, you know, six <laughs> hours later, it's like, oh, actually the pick is in. So I felt and, so bad every time Marissa being like, the pick is in. No, it's not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Marissa and I, because that was the most Marissa and I had to be on like TV as well, because typically, you know, you pan to the stage, there's new, I'll go up and do some picks a couple right. different rounds. And then we would hear sometimes, yeah, the pick's in. So we're like, great, the pick's in. And then, like you said, Marissa's like, no, Lori, so the pick isn't quite in yet. So let's talk some more about this player. <laughs> like, no, we've exhausted what we know about this player and when she's going to come. So. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, there was one no. draft, like, back when I worked for the league, and I think Jen Cooper hadn't arrived yet. And so they stuck me in rehearsals up on the desk with – Allie Wagner when one of the one of the oh, years right. that Allie Wagner yeah. was was doing analyst stuff and she was like okay Meg you got to tell me what you got about like x and I was like I can't even do it pretend let alone <laughs> I mean and granted it's Allie Wagner who is like queen of roasts right so oh, I was just oh, like yeah. I don't want to like put you on the spot and then she will not speak and good luck <laughs> yeah yes, yeah exactly. So I was just like, ah, okay. And then I'm just, every time it happened with Marissa where she would be like, the pick is it? Well, all right, actually. And I just, that was when I was like, Marissa, I would really, do, do they deliver alcohol to the studio? Yeah. Is Drizzly uh, in yeah, we need to for Lauderdale? Yeah. <laughs> so that way you can, you can survive this yeah. entire, entire thing. She's all right. Fabulous. She's fabulous. I also wanted to talk to you. One of the other big things that I thought was very fun on social media was there was so much fashion at the draft <laughs> in a way that I feel like, you know, and granted, like everyone's in person, you know, before the draft, the reporters were kind of joking because we would usually be in person. Right. And and we all there's a real sneaker culture amongst the yeah. soccer reporters. So we were joking yeah. about that. But like. The first couple shots, like Amanda Duffy stepped out in that yellow cape jacket. And I mean, I texted her and I was like, you need to post a photo of this look. Like, go on Twitter right now and put a photo up of you in this outfit. And she was like, no, I can't. I'm just coming back on social. Yeah. No, I know. It was like, listen, I think Sandra Herrera was also like, we got the fashion fam. Here we go. And so, yeah, I mean, like, listen, I... I had planned my outfit and then when I had to go to the bathroom and had to run in this really quick break and I had suspenders on, I'm like, this is fashion faux pas right now. Like, this is the worst thing I could have done. Right. And I'm yeah. like, up, and I'm like, if you can hear me peeing, sorry, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was fun. And it, it's, you know, it, it was fun to like follow along too and some of the social media last night, because despite it taking long and everyone knows that. Right. And, there was just fun banter about other things than just what was happening with the picks and what was going on with the teams. And, you know, I welcome that because it should be, a, it's an event, right? It's an right. event. It's fun. It's um, about personality and yeah. enjoying themselves. And yeah. I mean, it, it was interesting for me just because like, so I had this double computer setup of like the actual stream with you and Marissa up on one laptop. And then the, the second screen was both 
Twitter, and then they had also all of the draft picks coming through on like the secondary Zoom, right? So I'm also trying to like flip volume, whichever, you know, like when someone's popping in and then popping out, plus Mm -hmm. having the Twitter. But like what, what I really enjoyed is just having had so many different experiences and working the draft in so many different ways. Like when you're in that room, sometimes you don't always get the chance to have like the banter like that. And I think everybody kind of working from home and the fans kind of all watching it in the exact same way, just allowed people to talk through it in a way that we don't always get for an NWSL draft. And it was honestly very enjoyable for me. Yeah. That's an interesting point. And I I would agree with that. It seemed way more, I mean, there has been interaction for sure the last like few years that I had worked it as well and in like a fun way, but this one just seemed to like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe, you know, these numbers better, but there was like 35,000 in the first round of people watching. And then it, I mean, obviously you expect it to like, um, uh, dwindle off, but, but still like 10,000 by the fourth round still. I mean, there's a, there was a lot of engagement on Twitter, obviously too. I mean, it was, it was fun. Yeah. It was, it was definitely, um, a good time. Yeah. Um, given circumstances. Yeah. I mean, it was also just a very strange day on Twitter because it was like, we went from impeachment to also like a giant oh. NBA trade to <laughs> end of his oh. draft. Like by the, by the time the draft started, my brain was already like, I don't know what we're doing here. Yeah. Yeah, second impeachment, you're right. We're a week out of like the most horrible events going on at the Capitol. Right? I know, it's just, yeah. It's like, okay, and now we're celebrating soccer. And yep, the, the, yep. like, okay, yeah, yeah. It, is, it is very strange to try to like hold all of these things together at any given yeah. time. Also, Macario earning her, her no, eligibility yeah, right. with like, uh, yeah, I know. it was just like everything is happening all at the same time. Just this week was the craziest like from the sixth on, it's just been like, how do you handle all of these things together? Yeah. How do you function as an adult human being and also do work? And we're talking about women's soccer, which is, you know, like still important to us all, but also, uh, okay. And then, yeah. you know, I think fortunately, uh, your your friend Megan Rapino is back in camp. So Megan Rapino's first media availability was, of course, yeah, and we pure. Love it. We do love it. Yep. Pure Megan Rapino. Yep. <laughs> just holding and court. Like, let her go. Yep. Just let her go. You'll yep. she answer your questions. Don't worry. And, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and perfect. This is what we've all been waiting for. Yep. Thank you. Yep. We welcome this yep. return. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> all right. So let's let's actually talk about this draft a little bit. I want to mm-hmm. walk through the the first couple of picks. Uh were you expecting <laughs> there are so many names and I'm like, so I know. Surprised. Well, so, it's yeah. also not just like keeping track of the picks. It's like, oh yeah, all of the trades that happen, well, right? Yeah. Because we did have some significant yeah. trades, but did you, Emily Fox was the one name where I felt pretty sure. Yeah. I was like, I, th- I think she's going number one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, the amount of work that we do, who we talk to, and it's looked different over the years because we start to get, you start to get more comfortable. You start to understand the tendencies. And now the, the way that these teams work, there's less and less spots, right? So it's, it's, so I think that number dwindles. And for me, Emily Fox was a given because people can argue if she was the best player in this draft, right? And I think that's up for a, a great debate. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I think she was the best. She's the best pick because she's going to be able to have the most immediate impact with her playing at UNC, having numerous um, experiences with the U.S. Women's National Team, and just the the character that everyone talks about and her coachability. I think it was pretty much um, a given. 
Right. Makes sense. Okay, so now let's... Emily Fox makes sense. Trinity yeah. Rodman, I think. Oh. I mean, I had my my suspicions that the spirit were targeting her at number yeah. two. I think it's such an interesting pick because to me, the spirit have been in this very clear mode of like, we are building a team right now to compete, to win now, right? Like, yeah. I, I feel like the, the past year or so, it's been Portland on a mission and the Washington mm-hmm. spirit on a mission to put that roster together that can truly compete and win trophies. Mm-hmm. And Trinity Rodman is a very interesting pick for me in light of their other strategy because I think, and, and Richie Burke during the draft said, you know, like this is going to be an investment player, but it's not necessarily that kind of immediate impact that Emily right. Fox is going to have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when we, cause we talked to all the coaches, right. Leading up to it and stuff. And so when we, when we got word and a lot of them are, are extremely candid with us and, you know, not trying to hide what's happening and they know it's for broadcast purposes. But when we, when we got, when we heard this, I, I was like, first, and it has nothing to do with Trinity Rodman. I'm ecstatic for her. I do feel, believe that her ceiling is massive um, and she'll need time. But I was like, there's a couple of things that came right to me that was like, okay, one, first and foremost, if this is what's happening, um, the Washington spirit absolutely needs to make sure that they have things in place for this player to be the most successful. And I'm not even talking about on the field, I'm like off the field, because you're bringing in a player that hasn't even stepped foot in college soccer. She hasn't had to, um, and again, this doesn't have to be Trinity Rodman, it could be anybody, right? Mm -hmm. Any um, 18 year old. It's like, she hasn't been able to prove herself that she can have a routine to get herself to class, to get herself on time to training. And now you're moving across the country, to a city essentially by yourself. Maybe she'll have family members there and expected to be a professional with a lot of players, as you mentioned, the Washington spirit now have at least two to three years, the core of their team as professional players. And if anybody's been involved in professional sports, no one's like, Hey, let's go hang out. Unless you really want to hang out right after training. People are like, I have my own life. I'm going to do my thing. Uh, There's vast age differences and you leave the, the team and you go do your own thing and it's not like hanging out in college or like playing club so my first thing was like if you're going to do this because we've seen i'm not afraid to talk about mal Pugh, you know obviously he's in with the national team still but she's on her third team was taken by the washington spirit didn't live up to what they thought and obviously other things took place right so that's a little bit of like probably not the most fair statement for me but you, they have to be willing to groom this player and they have to provide support that looks way different than anybody else that they're bringing in. Full stop for me. Yeah. Otherwise, you're doing this player a com- and person actually a complete disservice because it's not like they're coming in making millions of dollars. Right. And I'm, and I'm an advocate of some players leaving early. So it's not a, like if that works for that individual, great. And then two, um, I was also like, you better be careful because you better be talking to your team because if this is what you've continu- continuously told media, put out there that you are looking to win championships, I'm not sure this pick says that. 
because you're basically on your third season with Richie Burke when there is a three-year plan to win a championship. And if this is a future pick and you need somebody that's going to offset an Ashley Hatch and you know the players are going to be gone for the Olympics, then I'm like, you better make sure that the rest of the locker room is a-okay with this because then you start to lose your team. And I think where they really redeem themselves is trading up, getting a pick, because I also know Terry McEwen was a, um, they were really high on her. Yeah, yeah. And I think I would put them as like one of the top two in terms of draft. Last Got, it. Night. So. Got it. Yeah. I think what's really interesting with Trini Rodman too, is that, I mean, even, even stepping aside and, and having conversations with other draft picks who are coming out of the college system and then going to the pros mm-hmm. and a lot of them being like the routine of college is gone yeah. once mm-hmm. you turn pro. And just also like yeah. the, the amount of money that is in the college game. And it's not just like women. So it's just college athletics. There is a structure. A lot of things are provided, right? Like yep. you are in one location. There's yep. not, there's, it's just kind of like you have this plan every single mm-hmm. in a routine. And then you, you turn pro and like, yes, you have practice schedules and other responsibilities, but it does not, it feels like there is, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just different. And that there is an adjustment period. Mm -hmm. So I I do, I I super get like, you not, you don't just have to take care of this player as a development, like a developmental process. You have to take care of the player as a, as a complete person. And obviously NWSL is also increasing, you know, housing and, and other supplementary parts. Right. So it's just, how do you actually put together that whole package and make sure that as, especially, cause I don't think Trinity Rodman is also going to be the last player. To, totally. Yeah, to exactly. make this shit like, that, right. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And no. I, I will say this. I do have to believe that the Washington spirit, how thrilled they were to get Trinity Rodman, that they were, they have these things in plan or they're going to continue to make sure that they improve what they already have set up to, to help her be successful both on and off the field. Right. Right. This episode is supported by FX's welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Um, all right, I want to get to Pinto, who is also that Pinto life, who is also on the podcast. <laughs> Um, (laughs) this week, but I, I mean, what was very interesting is as soon as she declared, you know, I think general consensus was, this is the best number eight now in this draft, like pretty, pretty straightforward. Like this is going to be one of the best midfielders in this draft and sky blue, I think had a very interesting night, but Mm -hmm. Pinto, obviously the biggest pick for them. Uh, what, what did you make of, of that addition for sky blue? Yeah, as soon as she came out, I was like, okay, this makes sense. Um, Sky Blue with the third and fourth pick. Um, 
Pinto, obviously, with experience um, with the national team, they need midfielders. They've made that clear. Um, again, I feel like she's the um, – if she wasn't going to go higher than that, then absolutely. It makes the most sense, and I think she could fit in. And honestly, I, I think she'd come in and have a, an immediate impact. And one of the things that her coach at North Carolina, Anson, has talked about when I've called her games at North Carolina, I would agree with him is just having a bit more composure and the way that sky blue is really trying to play and how they want to develop themselves um, on the field and what we've seen glimpses of. I think that actually this could be a really interesting place for um, her and the fact that like, I think it will allow her to calm down and be able to um, show more of her sophistication than maybe she's able to show at North Carolina with all the subs, right. And got to prove mm-hmm. itself and that stuff. now, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we all know. So it's like, how can she fit into that and develop even more as a complete player? And I think this is actually could be a really good spot for her. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly, it was one of the things where I was just like, Oh no, that, that makes sense in such a really cool way where you're just like, Oh, this is a good, it's a good culture fit. It's a good player fit. It's a good system fit. And it's just like one of those where it's like, Oh, Mm -hmm. everyone made the right, the right choice all at the same time. And I don't, I don't know, I haven't met her personally, but she is on the athlete council and just like her leadership there and her excitement as a youth player. And so I think she's going to come in, be a superior pro and just be like, just really help that, that organization, which is exciting. That's what you want. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I want to shift from maybe some of the player stuff too, because before we got our first like real major event between the third and fourth pick, and I want to talk through the role that allocation money had yeah. in this draft. Because last year was really our introduction to allocation money yeah. within the NWSL draft system. And last year, you know, we're talking about, I think it was the number eight pick being traded for $60,000 in allocation yeah. money. Mm-hmm. And then the the clock stops on Wednesday night and we get the trade between Kansas City and Sky Blue FC, and I legitimately thought the number was a typo until both of you said $175,000 in allocation money for the number four pick. The The trade between Sky Blue and Washington Spirit was $100,000 for, for that draft pick. I mean, we have seen allocation money change, and the value of allocation money has you know, we're, we're going to look at a, a $400,000 a year amount for the 2021 season. We have seen it take take a shape in U.S. national team trades. Crystal Dunn, Becky Sauerbrunn, it's almost becoming this kind of internal transfer fee mm-hmm. system within NWSL. But the draft was, we were in like brave new territory. What what was your initial reaction when you saw that one hundred and seventy five thousand dollar number last? Uh, well, on first of all, I was like, "What is happening?" Right, <laughs> and um, because personally, also outside of the money, um, and we'll get into this and like today, actually, like kind of thinking back about the draft, I would actually put Sky Blue as probably one or two and how they performed last night in the draft. And I, I'm sure I'll get pushed back on that. And great. I'm up for that debate. Yeah. Um, but um, at first I was like, regardless of the money, I'm like, what's happening? This team needs, <laughs> this team needs players, right? Like yeah. they need players, like I'm pretty sure they have no players and four goalkeepers. So I'm like, uh, and you're getting money. Like, and you know, let's all be honest, like 
regardless of what they've done in the drafts, it just hasn't totally panned out. And so there's, but you do feel like there's some stuff building there, but, and then you get into the actual money and what teams are willing to pay. And I, I love it. I think it's amazing. When you see that number, you're like, holy shit. And then you're also just like, okay, this is the new, this is the, this is the new NWSL because teams need different needs. They're willing to, um, it's an, with the allocation money to me, it feels like exactly it's internal. Um, I, I forget how you put it. Cause I'm yeah. Transfer, transfer fees yeah, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so it just allows for more deals to get done and depending on needs and um, you know, I was a bit shocked more on the KC side to be able to put up that money to, to get a fourth pick. Um, but they obviously wanted Kiki Pickett yep. and good on for Sky Blue to say, Hey, okay, great. Yeah. yeah. Here's amazing. our price. And and I think all along they didn't know they wanted Jennifer Cujo back. So let's get the, let's collect some money. We've, we know this player, we've invested in her. Let's use this. Then we get somebody that we actually know that we want on this team instead of having to like, we hope that they work out. Right. Right. So. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> Jennifer, the player to be named later, right. Like it was, and I was just like, is, does her name rhyme with, with Jennifer Bujo? Like everybody knows who this is. guys. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. We're like, wait a second here. <laughs> yeah. I, I do. I, I think the really interesting thing about just kind of how the NWSL operates within a draft and what was so funny last night, right? Like obviously we're used to watching teams work the floor at the, at the actual, in the ballroom, right? Like you can, you can watch coaches bounce from table to table. They're also texting each other, right? Like that was what some of the the coaches were joking about um, last night in their, their zoom time was just like, well, we're usually texting each other anyway, because all of you are watching us like Hawks when we, whenever we get up to like, go talk to other people. So sometimes we just mess with you and then we're actually texting someone else. Um, (laughs) But I know one. Yeah, but I do. I I do think it's very interesting to just you know we have watched Rory Dames kind of master the draft mm-hmm. and also the the trade during the draft. He had some moments mm-hmm. Wednesday night as well in terms of of what he was able to accomplish. I mean, international uh, spots were kind of moving back and forth across the mm-hmm. league yeah. uh, throughout the week, but. Um, you know, we, we have started talking about who had the best night. Sky Blue Washington is up there. I, I would definitely, I think, agree on on both of those cases. I think Portland also was pretty successful in terms of, you know, Portland yeah. does not necessarily have a huge amount of need via the draft, but I think still picked up really good players. I was actually kind of surprised Sam Coffey fell to them back when they came back around in the second round. But um, who do you think still has work to do because I have a team kind of immediately come to mind when I yeah. ask myself that question. My goodness, I kind of want to know yours first. Um, I think Orlando does. I think Orlando does. But I also I think they could be in a better position than they have been. Um, with Jade Moore in the midfield, international spot, you have Allie Riley coming, obviously Sid, Alex, Martin. You have more pieces coming back, right? Um, I also still think KC has some work to do. I think they potentially, and, and we have to keep in mind too, I think there could be a lot of, or there will be a lot of developments. I think there's there's a lot of international players in the works for a lot of these teams too, that will fill some some major spots that will round out these rosters. Um, 
And I'm really curious about OL Rain because obviously they only had one pick. So uh, they just were like, hello, here's our one. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and I'm pretty, they took the time out. So I was like, cut it out. Like, no, you two. Um, yeah, those would be, I, I'm, and the only reason with OL Rain, I think they have a lot of pieces, but how do they fit? They have a lot of young pieces. They weren't very great in the Challenge Cup or the Fall Series, right? So yeah, yeah. there's a lot of question marks. Yeah, I mean, like, I think OL Rain have always been a very interesting team in terms of, you know, you look at some of the names on that roster, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, okay, this, it makes sense in my head. And then you actually get out on the field and you're just like, that doesn't work the way that I thought it was going to work in my head. And I do, totally. yeah. you know, just Fishlock coming back, I think for them yep. is going Massive. to be, yeah. Just like, yep. if you want to talk about a player in this league who immediately, I think like is the team, just Fishlock. Like, Hands down. Yeah. I mean, what was it? The Challenge Cup win, they didn't have her for the first two games. Then she came back because she was able to step on the field. Immediately, the team was like energized in the way that we hadn't seen in right. Utah, right? And right. thank goodness. And then like they were out of the tournament though. So it was yeah. like, okay, yeah. that was great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the team that I am still waiting to see what the plan is, is Louisville. Uh-huh. Yeah, because, yeah. And, and Emily Fox, obviously, again, as you said, immediate difference. For that mm-hmm. team. And I think that they they made a lot of sensible picks. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they might have to wait for a player or two to actually finish eligibility. But, you know, it in terms of like they need players mm-hmm. now. Um, but I think there's still a lot of work that needs to happen between now and when the games start on that yeah. roster. And I don't disagree with you at all. And I can't kind of keep them off because I think that's typical always of an expansion team. And especially with the way that they had to go about it, right? Like when, how the expansion um, draft worked out and you have like, you know, we talked about um, Tobin Heath and Kristen press, right. And like them being on the roster, it's like, well, Christy Holly said it best. And he's like, we can't have those people um, those being dangled in front of us and these teams risking it because they don't think that those players would go. That's just not how professional sports work. So you take the best players. Now the hope is that they'll, they'll those players will come or not, and they'll, or they'll get something for them, right? Mm-hmm. So there's still a lot of unknowns, but I mean, let's say those two players do come. That changes that team's look immediately, right? I mean, you would hope that they're going to get some sort of international for some center back position. I think they have defensively some question marks centrally. Um, whether that's, you know, obviously they picked up Taylor Otto, um, but, you know, question marks around her being a rookie and then the center back position. I'm like, okay, you're going to need to figure that out. Really? <laughs> yeah. what, right. So, um, and then I think there's some pieces and my only other thing would be too, is I think they have a lot of similar players in that attacking position. Um, obviously getting rid of Cujo now kind of lessens that, but I was like, okay, you have like at least like five players that all kind of seem similar to me. And I'm like, how does that work? Right. So I don't disagree. And I do believe that they probably have something in the works and to be expected also. Right. Yeah. I mean, and Casey is kind of in that same boat, you know, like in terms of Casey is on also, I, I have talked to them a couple of times. Uh, Chris and Angie Long hopped in on the Mm -hmm. zoom last night and I was just like, what, what was your first draft experience like? Like, this is on such a strange timeline. And, uh, you know, you're yeah. trying to build a team and you're also inheriting a roster, which, you know, you have expressed admiration for, but also does need to get stepped up a little bit if you truly want to compete. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it is it is going to be, I think, 
extremely interesting to see how those two teams go on their journey to building a roster and just also the the differences in timeline and and the differences in approach. So yeah, the one thing I'll say about KC is why I would put them even higher than Louisville is because obviously they've been in the league. You know, back to Kansas City, we all know that now. But um, but I'm like I look at that former Utah now Kansas City team and I'm thinking you woefully underperformed in my opinion. And there's you no know, Vero's not coming back. You've um, I I haven't heard a confirmation about Diana Matheson or. Desiree Scott on what that looks like. Um, you have a lot of similar players in the midfield and it just, and you got rid of ZR King, obviously you get um, Darian Jenkins, but like, I'm just kind of like, and then, you know, you're going to go and get these draft picks that you, you really like. Awesome. But it is always regardless a crapshoot with yep. draft picks. Right. Yep, yep. And so and, and if you're having to rely on them, then it's even more of a crapshoot because that's a lot of pressure on some young players sometimes, unless they are completely ready for that. And a lot of times it's the kind of those players that you'd never expect. And you're like, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, but not everyone is a, is a Sophia Smith, right? Like Sophia yeah. Smith walked into this league and was like, I'm ready. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'll, be on. I'll score goals right when I come in. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. But not every player is at that lo- like that some of yeah, these, yeah. I mean, you, you look at the way that Chicago uses the draft and uses the time to invest in players to get them to mm-hmm. the NWSL level. Like that is kind of the goal in my, oh. in my mind of yeah. just like actually, actually giving players time to adjust mm-hmm. and not putting pressure on them right off the bat and making sure that they're adjusting to the professional level in a way yeah. that actually sets them up for success. Yeah. Like, that's what, <laughs> And you then would trying hope. and trying to draft players that you feel like have not necessarily just similar tendencies because you don't actually want that, but you're like, okay, these puzzle pieces um, fit together and they complement one another. And I think I, I really give a lot of credit to Roy for that because I think um, they have done that the best out of everybody. Yep. All right. I want to step away from the draft for the last bit of this because as as we were talking about, so much news happened. So I was hoping to get your reactions on a few different things. Let's start with Sacramento because I reported that in August of last year and we finally yeah. got confirmation in January. Yeah. Um, what what are your thoughts on our our new NWSL expansion for 22? <laughs> well, finally, great. <laughs> and um, and this is actually just a joke, but we hope this is, I would just say like, I hope this isn't any indication of how that's going to go there because <laughs> then things are going to be slow moving, right? Because yeah. yeah, the whole every day at the Challenge Cup was like, okay, you can announce it today. No, you can't. You can <laughs> announce it today. No, you can't. And then obviously you're saying like in August, right? You're announcing yeah. it. So, um, no, I think anytime... I mean, this is why it's so fun to be involved in sport, right? And especially women's soccer and where this the league is going. And yes, there's so many areas that we can continue to improve. There's so many areas that you're doing correctly with the NWSL. But I mean, just the the excitement around teams coming in. It is so difficult for players to come in and um, have opportunities to play. I mean, it's so, so challenging. And I don't think... Yes, you can kind of conceptualize that, but I don't think people really understand this smallest detail that's separating these players and how challenging it is for these young players to come in. So to be adding two more teams, the announcement of Sacramento to now have that confirmed just opens up, what, like another 40, 45 spots essentially. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that is massive. Yes. 
Um, I mean, that's how I feel about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In terms of, you know, we have heard a few owners, we've, we've heard the league kind of talk about, okay, there's not necessarily the concept that we're going to stop at 12 and 22, we could potentially go to 14 and 23. There is that path for Utah to come back in in 23 if a new owner is interested in, in returning the Royals to Utah. I was wondering if you had any thoughts about NWSL to Philly and if Philly... <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to. First of all, disclaimer: This is not to say that there is an interested ownership group in Philly. I'm just curious as to your thoughts in terms of because Philly is, you know, like we have had team, we have had professional women's soccer teams in yeah. Philly. I know my my editor appreciated when I said that Philly deserved another crack at it, especially after you know we've gotten KC back in the game, we have gotten LA back in the game after an extended amount of time. Yeah. Um, but is Philly in your list of like ideal markets? Are there other oh, yeah. places that you oh, would yeah. like I to think, see? I think Philly is awesome. And honestly, like, let's use this podcast as like, we're looking for the owner <laughs> and I will be a part of the ownership. I'll help buy in or something. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. And I think um, Philadelphia is a great market. Um, when it was a charge, then we were the independents. Um, and both teams have been successful. We've seen the union be extremely successful. And so, yeah, I think it is such a sport town. It'd be great. And then what I think is would be exciting about that too is then you have Sky Blue. You start to build these regions. Yeah, these regions and these rivalries. And that's what, besides teams coming in, it's I would be more like, okay, 12, 14, let's cap it there. Make sure we don't like um you know, lessen the talent and just spread it out to where it's like lukewarm, but then start to develop these rivalries that are, that are exciting and come up with different like little challenges that, um, that people can get on board with. Right. And I think the the last thing I'll say without being really long winded is that for me, it's going to be about um, fans really starting to lock into the teams now instead of who's on the team, right? You are like a Philadelphia fan and it doesn't matter if Alex Morgan's playing on your team and then she gets traded. You're not just like, okay, I'm not going to go to Philly games anymore. And that's where I feel like we'll, we'll get to if yeah. we start to build some of these like regional rivalries and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what's really, there's, I've done a lot of reading on, building fan bases and and all that kind of stuff because really honestly like one of the weakest forms of fan engagement is when they're coming in via star players mm -hmm. it's actually like your strongest form of fan engagement is when there is a community tie of like i mean i am from the boston area like you are born yeah. into boston red sox fandom unless like yeah. your parent is from somewhere else right like that is it's just such a community location identity sort of thing. And I think now that we are starting to actually consider NWSL as a league where you are, you are starting to hit age and double digits, right? Like we are starting to think about, okay, the 10th year of NWSL and, and beyond, right? I mean, I, I still firmly remember the days of like, okay, we got to hit year three, <laughs> right? Oh, I, do too. I do too. I remember like, oh gosh, don't get me started in my first year in the NWSL. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's tears, right? Almost every yeah, day. So. Right, right. So that's, yes, like building the identity part of NWSL, but also then, you know, having people come in as as fans, like generational, 
now. Yeah. Like this is the kind of conversations that you can actually start to think about of how do you start to build generational ties to a market, to a team? Mm-hmm. And, and I think a huge part of that is ensuring that teams are safe and secure and sustainable in their markets, mm-hmm. but also, <clears throat> again, have that regional aspect yeah. to them. Yeah, 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 I completely agree. All right, one one last one. NWSL, uh, so Lisa Baird had her, her big media call and just dropped news everywhere, right? Like Sacramento was not the only thing. Yeah. The other kind of major piece I thought coming out of this was um, we we knew that the eventual, as as we called it, the conscious uncoupling, you know, of U.S. <laughs> soccer and NWSL yeah. is now essentially across. Like I don't think the paperwork is quite finished, but it is. We're we're at that crossroads now of U.S. soccer stepping away as managing partner, NWSL living under its own power a bit more. We are starting to also see. NWSL teams being able to sign U.S. national team players directly, use allocation money for those contracts. Reported earlier this week, Crystal Dunn and and Lindsey Horan are being signed directly via Portland. Where are you thinking this is going to take the league? Are you excited by this this fork in the road finally happening? I, you know, I am. And also, full disclosure, I was reading your article. I was reading Jeff Kasuf's and I was like getting to the numbers and I'm like, OK, I was never great at math. And this is very confusing. And obviously, I've dealt with uh, all these like different CBAs with U.S. soccer as a player and stuff. And I'm like, whoa, this is like beyond. Somebody needs to like I need to talk to Jeff Kasuf <laughs> offline and need more details. Right. Yeah. But for the most part, um, yeah, I think this is fantastic because you start one, it's just great for the league to have, be on its own, have the sustainability. We have Lisa Baird making strides, right? And um, and also it's um, it's good for the players because w- one thing that we would talk to Paul Riley about as well is like they obviously lost um, Sam Mewis going to Man City, right? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily lost her, but because of um, – the way that the terms have worked, she just goes there for free. Yep. They don't get any money. They yep. don't get right. And so, and if, if she is being paid by the club, then there could be a transfer fee and there's more, there's more deals that can be done. You can start to see more um, international players that could come over and these teams could make money in that regard. The league can make money. Right. 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 And, and right now you're kind of withholding to how the, the system is working. So I do think it's still going to take a little bit of time. And I think there, there'll be a group that probably will retire eventually. And then you'll see a new crop of allocated players from the national team that will come on and, and make mu- and choose to go the way, or it will be, forced with yeah. quotes around yeah. that for them to yeah. be paid from their teams, right? But um, I think this is only an upside. And it also feels good that it's on track too, because I know that there there has been some of these things in working and, um, but for it to be like, this year was the year that was said, hey, you're going to start to peel away. So for that to still be the case feels good. And I think shows the maturity of the NWSL as well and where right. we're headed. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think that, you know, one of the things that is a storyline for 2021 that we have not necessarily really started wrapping our heads around yet is the fact that we're going to have CBA negotiations. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This year. <laughs> yeah. And they are they are going to be a major, major CBA negotiations. And, mm-hmm. and not to say that it's going to be antagonistic. Like, I, I don't necessarily think that the relationship is going to be I mean, I'm I'm still I'm still running on the high of the fact that they were able to come to a settlement. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. like I, I think that 
but this this CBA negotiation is going to be, I think, very consequential for both the national team, obviously, but also NWSL and could, you know, play into how allocation works for NWSL and how how much support is happening because yeah. of of the national team players' involvement. We could eventually start to maybe even see that the national team players having to join the NWSL Players Association as well, which is ultimately the goal yeah. for both sides. So, yeah. And, and to your point, I think it it's um, it could be such a different looking CBA too. Is it going to go the way? And this, you know, obviously goes down to with the Players Association and um, in negotiations. But like, will they say, "Hey, let's go to where we're not going to be under an actual contract as national team players"? Right? We'll we will decide to be paid through our teams and then get paid on a per per game basis with the national team. And then that opens up a whole new situation, right? Because um, I I really believe it still gives the players, um, I hate, I really hate using the word power, but we'll just use that for lack of a better word right now, still gives them the, the ample amount of power that's needed as athletes, but it also starts to give the teams, um, some wiggle room too for negotiation and like how professional sports work. Cause right. Cause, cause right now with some of the CBAs and how the national team players are over here and this, I mean, we all know. Right. So it's, it's a very interesting. It's why there's a lot of, you know, pushback and right, um, right. not the only reason, but <laughs> uh, it, it is certainly the primary reason why we have a million explainers of like, here's why the equal pay case is far more complicated than you actually think it exactly. is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it'll be curious what direction that goes and if it will fully go to that. But I, I do believe eventually, um, or the, what I really hope is that players will be um, sufficiently paid. And then if you are playing with the national team, you'll get, um, potentially a per game, per game, um, stipend or fee. Right. right. So, and it, right. yeah. All right. Well, let's leave it there. We'll, we'll leave that kind of looming <laughs> for the year ahead. But Laurie, if you could remind folks, uh, how to find you online so that way they can follow you. I know we, I'd like to think that we have more time than we actually do until the NWSL season starts. But then I start thinking like, wow, preseason starts in like two weeks. Yeah. And yeah, I think I think even teams or sh- players are showing up to quarantine now. It's wild. So um, Lori Lindsay six, that's S E Y number six, pretty much across the board. I mean, that's Twitter, that's Instagram. I mean, I don't think anybody's like creeping around on Facebook that much. So <laughs> yeah. or maybe they are. But um, yeah, that's it. And love to chat and um, up for fun conversations about fashion and football. So <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah. Well, if you have, if- this has been great. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for for joining the show again and breaking down the draft and surviving and (laughs) flying back home and then immediately hopping on Zoom for like an hour to talk about it. So I super appreciate it. Thank you to both Brianna and Lori for their time this week. Congrats to all of the draft picks, of course, and to all of the folks working behind the scenes on the stream, all of the league employees who put so much time and effort into this um, to have it (laughs) happen on the same day as a second impeachment of the president was really quite something. I will put it that way. Um, I usually do have one more thing here, but honestly, uh, right now, I just mostly hope that everyone is taking care of themselves. Uh, Hopefully, we are bringing a little light into your lives with this show and and bringing you some joy when you listen. But our 2021 vibe 
right now should just be making sure that we are taking care of us as individuals as a and as a community. So hopefully you are you are on that journey and taking care of yourself. Um, okay, back to business a little bit, but the new home for the show is at fulltimepod.com. We now have a new trailer for 2021 uh, ready for you to share if you so choose. Links to Apple, Spotify, Google, The Athletic, all of that good stuff that uh, hopefully will help you find the show more easily and and share it with your friends. Um, make sure that you subscribe. Uh, if you share it, you know you, you know the drill. Your subscriptions, ratings, and reviews all help the show grow, as well as your engagement, your retweets, your Instagram stories, everything else that you do to support this podcast about women's soccer. Thank you, as always. Uh, I do want to give a quick review shout-out to Kayla, who very much helped on my uh, quest for 500 ratings, so thank you. But I did also love her message that she left. To Meg and the full-time team, thank you for being the podcast I didn't know I needed Growing up, I never understood why I wasn't interested in women's pro soccer like the NBA or NFL, despite the fact that sport was my first love. Well, now I've realized that it was because there was not adequate, if any, coverage of women's pro soccer. Unfortunately, my eight-year-old self was never going to understand this, but fortunately, the game has grown in the last 12 plus years. Thanks, Meg, for being there from the beginning, and thanks to The Athletic for supporting this work. It has been a source of light as my own senior college season was canceled this fall. All the best to Meg and the team believe the best is yet to come for you all. So thank you, Kayla. I super, super appreciate that message and your time <laughs> that it took to leave the review and the rating. Um, now that we are at the end of this episode, just my my reminder from the top of the show, if you enjoy this podcast, you do not yet subscribe to The Athletic, but you would enjoy more women's soccer coverage and more sports coverage in general. The link to do so is theathletic.com slash full-time. Again, you can start your new subscription right now at $3.99 a month. You can find me, as always, at, on Twitter at It's Meg Linehan. I promise I am not in the sky blue draft room. We won't even get into that. We're done with this episode. We're just going to leave that on Twitter and on the draft broadcast forever to live on in infamy, I suppose. Uh, our podcast producer is Michael Zimmerman from The Athletic. I'm Meg Linehan. Thank you for listening. Thank you.